Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Malcolm X was tracked by the FBI since before he converted to Islam, and even after he died, his viewing and his funeral were visited with bomb threats. He was widely regarded by people both inside and outside of his community of believers as a dangerous man. But Malcolm X did not carry weapons. He directed no army, and on the day that he was assassinated, he even asked his bodyguards to leave their guns at home. What made Malcolm X dangerous was the revolutionary nature of his speech, the power of his thought, his evolving religious conviction, and his deep commitment to the liberation of black people the world over. He was a black nationalist who, for a good part of his career, advocated for the separation of the races. When he belonged to the Nation of Islam, he argued that white people were blue-eyed devils, black people were a superior race, and Allah would raise African Americans up under the direction of a great leader. For most of his public career, Malcolm didn't see himself as that leader, but rather, the leader was Elijah Muhammad, head of the Nation of Islam. Although Malcolm X's views on Elijah Muhammad would undergo a significant shift, especially toward the end of his life. On behalf of Muhammad, he promoted a vision of black separation. But Malcolm X grew increasingly disillusioned with the Nation of Islam and its doctrines and made a break with the organization to found his own group of black nationalist Muslims in 1964. This would be the beginning of the end for Malcolm X, who had long been a target of the federal government but quickly became a target for the very men he had once served. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson, the Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, joined this day by two neophytes. We have Evangeline Olson coming, coming at us for the second time. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. All right. <laughs> what, and Malcolm X, any impressions? Uh, I'm probably going to be learning more about him. Yes, and, so so this is new information for you. Everything that I somewhat, shared. Somewhat, yes. Yeah, all right. And uh, Malik Hopkins, welcome. Hiya, how's it going? It's going pretty good. So uh, you, uh, do you have any experience with Malcolm X? Any knowledge of Malcolm X before today? My knowledge of Malcolm X is pretty basic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all right. Malik and uh, Evangeline are current students of mine, and they also both helped move me this summer from one house to another. So they have that in common. Uh, and, and they're going to be helping us tell uh, what is a very complex story. Uh, all right, let's pledge it out, Boxy. Right. Hey, you want to try it, Malik? You know? Well, you, if you feel a little new to podcast, <laughs> we, the members, members of, of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. I was, I was gonna, try, no, I was gonna try to listen to you and then try to join into you in the second time, but I'm not gonna remember all of that. <laughs> I've listened to too many of the episodes. Uh, so I just want to say, getting into this, uh, I am passionate about the story of Malcolm X. I think it's fascinating. Uh, I don't want to try to come at it with any particular uh, angle. I, I don't want to be woke or anti-woke about Malcolm X. I just want to tell it the way I've discovered it in, in the sources that I've been reading. And, and, you know, I've sort of obsessively been watching. You can watch Malcolm X clips on YouTube. Um, it, it's, a, it's such a fascinating story and I think an important story about the history of America. Uh, so saddle up, friends. Uh, we're really going to get into it today. 
But before we do, let's open up the order of confessors. Uh, Vangeline, you want to try making some noises? Boop, boop, boop. All right, now, now Malik, you're going to have to close us up when I'm finished here. So just start thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> you look tense. Okay, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, we want to welcome some uh, some new patrons. Uh, I'm actually going to split up our list of patrons so that everybody gets a moment in this in the sun. So we'll do half of our patrons that have added over the summer today, and and half in the next episode. Uh, Dumby, I can't say the whole whole name there, Dumby, but you know what the rest of your name is. Cody C, uh, Rogich Zero, Thomas S, Guido, Eric the Great. And uh, Rob R. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we want to welcome back Sam L. as well and Ronnie. Uh, talk about some reviews here. Mark Pete 76, having a healthy interest in the occult, says Mark Pete. The alchemical actors do a wonderful job of telling you history of the occult as far as you know it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark Pete. The Supreme Hierophant and students have a great project. Appreciate that. Charlotte Masgray on Podchaser says we're a perfect mix of history and humor. Jan from Cannes. And by that, I mean Canada. Topics unheard anywhere else. Uh, thank you, Jan. And Interceptor Dog from Poland. Tried many podcasts around, uh, but nothing comes close to yours truly. I appreciate that, Interceptor Dog. All right, Malik, it's on you. What's going to happen now? Close up that order of confessors. Make a sound. Any sound. Boop, 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 boop. That was boop, nice. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, it matched. It, it, it had we a nice... Blended. Yeah, you worked. <laughs> you, and, you and Evangeline are, are in sync. That's lovely. <laughs> All right, it's time for the Nation of Islam. In order to understand Malcolm X, the story of Malcolm X, you have to understand the religious movement he helped to make a household name, and that is the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam in the wilderness of North America is actually the full name of this group. It was founded by Wallace Dodd Ford, or Wallace Farrard Mohammed, in 1930. So Wallace Dodd Ford would have been his name before he became a religious leader, and then he took on the name Wallace Farrard Mohammed. For the next couple of decades, the nation would exist as a small sect until it gained the national spotlight in the 1950s and became the largest black nationalist organization in America as a result of the ministry of Malcolm X and the leadership of Elijah Muhammad. The movement's founder, Farrard, was a silk and clothing salesman who came to the poor black neighborhoods of Detroit and preached a new Islamic message of black nationalism while he was selling textiles. Farrard had been in and out of jail on various charges and often identified as white to gain advantage from his jailers, who I assume would have been harsher to him if he was black. He had a Pakistani father and a white mother from New Zealand, uh, sort of interesting background for him, and so could reasonably identify as pretty much any race he wanted to. Although some called Farrard an imposter because of his ethnicity, he identified the black races as all races who were not white. So yes, he was Pakistani, but in his mind, Pakistani meant black in the same way that an African American was black. Any trace of black DNA, he said, was enough to render someone a black person. The black man, he said, was really the original man, capital O, capital M, created in the image of God or Allah. In a Gnostic inversion of identity Christianity, Farrard said that the white race had been created by an evil scientist 6,000 years ago named Jakob. Sort of like Jacob, but with a Y. Under you. <laughs> So not like Jacob at all. No, uh, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he practiced genetic experiments and eugenic breeding. That's Jakob, ancient scientist. 
and killed off the darker babies born in his experimental colonies. Jakob didn't live long enough to complete this project, but his followers did, birthing a race of white people on the island of Patmos. You guys been to Patmos? No. I have not. No, it's, well, probably that's okay, because it's full of fair-skinned, blue-eyed people who are morally inferior to the original black man. So you probably that's don't want to go there. Awful. I'll tell you why else you don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> uh, because these white people forced the black man to live in the caves of the Caucasus Mountains, uh, and these white people crawled on all floors and had sex with dogs. Oh. Uh. oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you don't want to go to Patmos. Yikes. Doesn't sound no. like a place I would be interested in going uh, to. At least at this time in history, because yeah. things are going to get better. Moses is coming along. He's going to civilize the whites, and Allah is going to sanction white domination for 6,000 years to cleanse the black race through suffering until a leader should emerge to restore their spiritual purity and liberate them from the white man's culture and power. So that brings us to the present moment. I don't mean our present moment, but 1950-ish, 1930, 1950, in there. We're at the end of history. The black man is about to rise up. The white devil is about to, like the reign of the white devil decreed by God is about to come to an end. Hmm. Feeling that, Malik? I'm feeling it. <laughs> I'm feeling it now. You ready for that? <laughs> To spread his message, Farrard went door to door and sometimes offered to clean the homes for the black residents who greeted him. So I want you guys to imagine now. Malik, imagine a man comes to your house. Right. And he says, I'm going to clean your house for free or even for like a dime. And you're like, oh, that's a good deal. Right. Now, he starts cleaning your house. and He's like, let me tell you about uh, the white people who have sex with dogs on Patmos. That'd be, uh, honestly, that can be kind of strange. I'd be like. I don't know if he came here to clean my house or was trying to educate me. <laughs> Would you feel educated by this tale? I mean, sure, but... <laughs> You'd be like, oh, I never knew that. Where did you I, read this? I mean, like, after he leaves, I'll be like, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what else he did. Um, <laughs> he would pay people 25 cents to get them to attend his Sunday meetings. How about that, Malik? If I give you a quarter, will you come listen to all the stories I was just telling you about, you know, the ancient Jakob evil scientist? Honestly, probably not. <laughs> not for a quarter? Not for a quarter. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's like 1930, so that quarter, that's, that's... going to buy you like a loaf of bread or something. Mmm, bread. That, mm, Think about you it, know bread. What? I never thought of... Okay, right. So yeah. my mind is still in current time. You put my mind yeah. back in, you know. Go back in the day, and you're getting so, like 10 bucks. In that case... And probably, yes. Because, yeah, you're getting like yeah. a lunch. You're getting a free lunch to just listen to the stories of Jakob. Would you be more likely to believe the ancient scientist theory if you're getting a free lunch? Um, I'm not sure if I'd believe him. I have to hear the whole thing. I have okay. to hear his reasoning. He's just going for the bread. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just in it for the money. You're walking away with your free lunch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, thank you. You're still calling the guy weird. Okay, fine. So... Uh, between 1930 and 1933, he offered lessons in math, English, and reading that included word problems and grammar lessons around killing white devils and receiving trips to Mecca. So imagine stats, Evangeline, you're in stats class, and the word problem is 25% of white devils need to be murdered tomorrow. How many, what percentage of knives will you need to collect in order to kill the white devils? One. One percent. What do you think? What do you think, Malik? What's the answer? How? What percentage of knives is required to kill twenty-five percent of all white devils? I don't know. Five. Five percent. You're both wrong. It's seven and a half percent. I was close. 
We're, we're of course making all this up. Um, Ferrard was, <laughs> was plagued. That won't be on the test. Oh. Ferrard was plagued by well, what if you were with Ferrard, it would be on the test because mm-hmm. he's teaching you math and English. And it would also be like it, like you'd have sentence construction too. It'd be like the predicate is I don't actually know the difference. subject. The subject is Jakob, evil mad scientist, and the predicate is created evil white devils and the, uh, imprisoned the original man. I'd honestly have to see if like anyone else like is anyone else finding like these problems a little sketchy? <laughs> Do they a seem like bit... odd sentences to you? <laughs> Hopefully I don't have to answer that kind of question in my actual test in statistics. Yeah, this well semester. if it comes up, you'll know where it came from. You'll I've... know that Ferrard wrote it. Or, I also feel like or we're you did it. With... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just sneaking them in. You're sneaking them in, <laughs> talking to my other professor. <laughs> I feel like with these questions, he's like getting like our opinion on like how to do things right it's like it's like here's like oh like wh- what would you need like what percentage of knives would you need it's like are you like generally asking like do you need to know this information <laughs> do you need to know how many <laughs> knives you need to collect to kill a white devil you think you're actually you're still, like trying to get help <laughs> right with this exactly. project okay <laughs> he's he's to what is it crowd crowdsourcing that that question <laughs> farad was plagued by trouble with the law throughout his career and in 1932 he was arrested when robert harris a member of the nation of islam murdered his roommate james j smith and claimed he was performing a human sacrifice the justice system eventually concluded that harris was an unbalanced individual imagine that and mm-hmm. that the nation of islam and farrard in particular were not at fault for what he did uh, like someone could listen to an episode of ours and go out and kill somebody and that wouldn't be our fault because right. we didn't intend that, and there was no reasonable way to expect it would have happened. Ferrard is not necessarily advocating human sacrifice, after all. I mean, yeah. my knife math problem aside, but I made that up. <laughs> I really hope nobody listens to this and decides that they need to do a human sacrifice because yeah. of us. Well, we do have a whole episode on human sacrifice, but I would not... Brie is the one that's advocating human sacrifice. They're not me in that uh, that's episode. True. That's, that's true. how she became metallurgic. Uh, so in 1933, he was arrested again and sought refuge in the home of his acolyte, Elijah Muhammad. In 1934, he disappeared. It was not the first time that Farrard had fell, fallen off the grid, but it would be the last. The nation contends that he left for Mecca, but he also appears to have been attempting to escape trouble with the law. Um, so if you ask the Nation of Islam, Farrard went off to just do his pilgrimage, but he was also being pursued uh, by, by the government. Um, and, you know, I, I want to put the caveat in here. I, I, we're, we're sort of picking on sort of some of the weirdness of Nation of Islam belief. But Farrard, whatever we want to think of, of these ideas, was not um, necessarily advocating violence. And um, I don't know. How do I put this? The government was more involved in cracking down on groups like this. So that may have something to do with his legal trouble rather than anything he actually was guilty of. Uh, but that's not something I've researched in any depth, so don't quote me on that. Farrard's eccentric take on Islam, which didn't seem to have very much to do with Islam, except that, it, remember, this is Islam, right? This yes. Is whole Middle Eastern religion that is, exists and goes back to around the year 600, uh, but has nothing to do with Yaqob, mad science, or any of this stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's supposed to be a kind of Islam. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> The only real tie in I'll say is is that Northern Africans were Muslims by and large, and they were black. Mm-hmm. So Farrard's got a connected connection there. He's Pakistani, so I, I see his his you know genealogical roots in Islam, and then he's linking up with North African Muslims. 
and and so Islam is almost kind of a brand for this belief system. Uh, but really, much of the belief system doesn't have anything to say about the actual historical Muhammad or anything that he taught, pillars of Islam, any of that. So uh, the Moorish Science Temple Organization, by the way, was also a Muslim organization uh, in, in the United States and shared a message of black solidarity and economic development. So the Nation of Islam wasn't the only black organization that was Islamic at this time period. There were two. But as the nation was on the rise, the temple was actually failing as a result of internal conflict among its leaders. Many of the nation's future believers, most notably Malcolm X, would choose to interpret Farrard's teaching as metaphorical rather than literal, accounting for the genesis of the races. So, in other words, Malik, you're sitting in your house and you're like, ah, this is really weird, this mad science stuff and the dog sex and all that. But what if my man Farrard is, is just you know, trying to give me a metaphorical lesson on the relation between black people and white people. I mean, if he brings it to that conclusion, and then that's like, it'd be a little less weird, but I probably wouldn't catch on if that's where he was going. <laughs> unless he's pretty explicit about it. Yeah, he, unless he's like, By you know. the way. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm X is choosing to read it this way. Mm-hmm. But, but it was never stated it. Stated I, that it was written I can't way. say never, but it doesn't feel like Farrard intended for it to be taken metaphorically. Yeah. Malcolm X just made that choice. I mean, I, I believe that this was a similar situation with Tom Cruise in Scientology, that Tom Cruise, when it got down to the real weirdness of the aliens and all that, he he was like, eh, this is too much for me. And I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe he tried to back away. And then they were like, no, 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 uh-huh. you, you can, you know, not believe this literally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I don't, I don't know that story in full. My wife loves Tom Cruise, so I always just hear it out of the corner of my corner of my ear. Um, the genocidal pursuits of the Nazis and quest for racial, racial purity sought by the Knights of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, certainly reflected an inverted image of Farrard's infanticidal Jakob. So let's think about that. What? <laughs> Did I not need to define KKK? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and these groups would play a strange role in the history of the nation that we'll come to later. So there's actually going to be some overlap between the KKK and the neo-Nazis and the Nation of Islam. That's a little teaser. Farrard's most important convert was Elijah Poole, who took the name Elijah Muhammad and became the central prophet of the Nation of Islam, or Messenger, with a capital Messenger. Elijah referred to Farrard as Master and Allah. So that's interesting. He's calling Farrard God. He was born on the 7th of October, 1897, in rural Georgia. As a child, he witnessed the death of the deacon of the church where his father preached. The man was dragged by a crew of white men out to the woods where Elijah hid uh, when he heard voices coming. The deacon was beaten and hung from a tree until his neck broke. I'm just going to go back to Farrard one more time. Like we are saying, yes, this is weird, but you can understand why someone would would want to believe the white devil theory when we hear this story of, of Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. Elijah Muhammad buys his story hook, line, and sinker, but he literally wish, witnessed some evil stuff with his own Ooh. two eyes. Uh, this was a formative moment. As a child, too. Uh, yes, he's a little boy. He's yeah. a little boy hiding in the woods watching this. I mean, it, it's like a scene from a horror movie. Yeah, but that also, affects you. Like, 
So, you know, you, you know, you know, the term seeing is believing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I were to try to tell this to someone that they'd, they'd like, I'd understand if they look at me like I'm weird, but like, but they also didn't experience what he did. Right. There you go. If so, your life experience may help you come to these conclusions. But right. you know, if you're a black man, Malik, and you are, uh, but if you're a black man in 1930, you know, in the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. you're probably seeing some stuff. I mean, yeah. today you probably see some stuff. I Am do. I right? Yeah. So that may be enough. I mean, maybe it's not as extreme as what Elijah Muhammad witnessed, but you might see police beating people up or, you know, people getting in trouble just for race. And, right. and that may lead you to, you know, sympathize with Farrard, if not. So that was like almost like their religion was is thinking that. Not black people in general, but those yeah, who chose no, to become members of the Nation of Islam. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, Nation of Islam, we also have to put it in context. Like the civil rights movement is largely a Christian movement. And that's popular, too. There's a lot of folks who belong to the civil rights movement. And there are black people who are in neither movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? At this, at, Throughout this time period. Um, so we don't want to think like Nation of Islam was wildly popular. But it, it did have a lot of converts. Back to Elijah Muhammad. Uh, he married Clara Evans in 1917 and fathered 19 children by her. God bless Clara Evans. 19. 19. 19. They moved to Detroit in 1923, where he met Wallace Farrard Muhammad. After Farrard disappeared, Elijah Muhammad replaced him as the leader of the Nation of Islam. All right, moving, switching gears now to Malcolm X. We'll get back to Elijah Muhammad in a bit, but... Malcolm X was born Malcolm Little on the 19th of May, 1925. Uh, his parents were Louise and Earl Little. His father was a carpenter and a preacher, and both his mother and father had volunteered for Marcus Garvey's United Negro Improvement Association. After they married in 1919, they signed up to establish a uh, UNIA chapter in the Midwest. They moved to Omaha, Nebraska, but the KKK drove them off. Then they moved to Lansing, Michigan, where their home burned down in 1929. And in 1931, Earl was killed in a streetcar accident. His family believed he had been killed by white supremacists, a distinct possibility given his prominent relationship with black nationalism. So Marcus Garvey, in part, I mean, it's not just because his parents are black that they're suffering. And that is certainly part of it. But it's because they are politically active black people operating in an area where there are KKK members who do not want to see politically active black people. Marcus Garvey uh, followers in their midst. In 1939, his mother suffered a nervous breakdown and had to be committed to the state asylum. Malcolm was 13 years old. Imagine that, 13 years old. Dad's dead. Mom has is, is now been committed to an asylum. Oof. Yeah. His seven brothers and sisters were placed in the foster system, along with Malcolm X. He was shuffled between foster, foster homes, he was a smart guy. I mean, if you listen to him speak, you'll know he was always a smart guy. Academically gifted, but a teacher of his discouraged him from pursuing a degree in law, explaining that this was not a realistic goal for a black child. He moved to Boston. Yeah, I mean, it's awful. That's awful. It's awful. It's common. I mean, yeah. when you read about this era, you just sort of like, I read that as well. Of course she did. Or he did. Uh, but it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. You Nothing can be, new. You could be a lawyer, Malik. Do you want to be a lawyer? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> he, moved to, he moved to Boston after a visit to his half-sister, Ella, and then to Harlem, where he began to get himself into some trouble. 
In Harlem, he was arrested for putting a soldier, who was actually an undercover detective, in touch with a prostitute. He sold marijuana, he carried a gun. Although his own account of his days of crime was lurid, it's more likely that he engaged in petty crime and nothing too serious. In 1945, he was arrested for burgling a wealthy house in Newtown, or Newton, outside Boston, as part of a small gang of thieves. Police discovered he was also in a relationship with a white woman on the crew, which was actually a crime in itself at that time period. Really? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I believe there was. There's a Supreme Court case. Don't quote me on that, but it it um, it took a long time to uh, legalize interracial marriage. Jeez. It was illegal well into the 20th century, though. Did you know that, Malik? I did, but I like this is like. I've like heard that once, like a while ago, but then it kind of just left my brain. But then you kind of just like resurfaced it. And I was like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot that was legal. <laughs> it's illegal. Illegal. Wow. Illegal. It's more convenient sometimes to forget the horrors of history, but uh, yes, yeah. yes, was illegal. Um, so he was he was guilty on a couple of counts there. He was robbing a house, which is still illegal. <laughs> um, but then this relationship with one of his fellow robbers, who happened to be a white woman. He was sentenced to eight to ten years in prison, and this was form. Th- th- this was a formative moment for Malcolm Little. He was an atheist when he entered prison. His brother Reginald wrote to him to give up pork and cigarettes and to get free so to get himself free to free his mind, and to get free of prison. And paid Malcolm several visits during which he gradually unfolded the tenets of the Nation of Islam, namely that the devil was a white man, and the white man had deceived the black man into forgetting his own self-knowledge. I mean, now here's a, a different way of framing this message. It's not, you know, all this Jacob and mad science. It's that a black person, particularly at this time period, uh, but throughout history, is being told they're inferior. And this is Reginald's message to Malcolm X. You know, you're in jail, and, and this has happened to you because you've been told, you've been taught you're inferior. But you're not. You're not inferior at all. In fact, says the Nation of Islam, flipping it on its head, you're superior to the white race. Malcolm X struck up a correspondence with Elijah Muhammad and joined the Nation of Islam. His sister Ella secured his transfer from the Concord Reformatory to the Norfolk Prison Colony, which had an extensive library, and Malcolm X endeavored to learn as much as he could about the history of the African races, slavery, and colonialism. He got his education. After getting out of prison in 1953, he began as an assistant minister to Lemuel Hassan in Detroit. This was the year he replaced his last name, the slave master's name, Little, with X, which stood as a placeholder for his lost African name. That's a fun fact people don't generally I was going to ask why his last name was like X. Well, you'll hear as we talk that a lot of members of the Nation of Islam did the X, put the X in their name somewhere. Mm. I always thought it was kind of like a stage name. <laughs> well, I mean, it's dramatic, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's kind of where my head was going to. It rem- I, I, and I won't. T- I'm not going to say that the drama has nothing to do with it, but you know, there is this underlying ideology that Little would have been the name of the slave master that was passed down to the slaves when they were freed. They mm. became the Littles, mm. but it was not their African name when they, you know, came over from the continent. I mean, the same thing happened to immigrants to some extent. They had their names distorted by the people on Ellis Island. Uh, But Europeans have a bit more tie to their original name, Mm -hmm. their last name, than Africans. 
Hassan saw how ambitious Malcolm was and may have worried that Malcolm would try and replace him as a minister in Detroit, and so he recommended to Elijah Muhammad that Malcolm be transferred to the Northeast. Get him out of here. In Boston, he established a storefront temple, the first Nation of Islam temple in the city of Boston, and began traveling throughout the Northeast, working to establish new temples. Impressed by his success, Elijah relocated him to Harlem, which is a great place to be if you're a black nationalist at this time period, of course. In 1959, CBS reporter Mike Wallace learned about the Muslim movement and, both horrified and fascinated by the nation, produced a five-part CBS special called The Hate That Hate Produced. And he put Malcolm X in front of a national audience, which grew the nation's ranks. So, you know, <laughs> Mike Wallace certainly has a viewpoint on this. Um, and, and we can debate whether we like that viewpoint, the hate that hate produced. However, he is really the one who's giving Malcolm X that national spotlight. And he does it more than once in his career. M Mike Wallace is a big player in, uh, in keeping Malcolm X in front of a national audience. That summer, he traveled to Africa and the Middle East on behalf of the nation. The president of Egypt, Egypt uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser, uh, had invited Elijah Muhammad to visit Cairo, but Muhammad sent Malcolm out ahead of him the month before in July. Malcolm X's trip humbled him and made him feel as though he had an inadequate understanding of Islam, because after all, the nation of Islam wasn't doing a whole lot of Islam. So when he went to Egypt, where everybody is a, you know, a practicing Muslim, not a member of the Nation of Islam, he was like, whoa, there's a whole lot of Islam that I'm missing here. Uh, so uh, Elijah Muhammad did not encourage his followers to read the Quran, for example, or interact with the Muslim world outside of the Nation of Islam in any meaningful way. So they're not hanging out at mosques, they're not talking to Saudi Arabia. They're not talking to Egypt, except in this instance. Um, so, so a lot of the members just don't know. Though he was tempted to make the pilgrimage to Mecca, Malcolm X chose not to out of deference to Elijah Muhammad, who had not been to Mecca yet. So Elijah Muhammad's the leader. I'm not going to go before him. Malcolm X was perhaps the most eloquent voice for black nationalism in the U.S. He said the white race should consent to be separated from the black race or suffer the wrath of Allah. He criticized civil rights leaders for preaching love for the white man and questioned Martin Luther King Jr.'s decision to allow women and children to stand at the front of a march in Birmingham that was met by police violence. We don't often hear criticism of Martin Luther King Jr. No. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> but boy, Malcolm X, he was, yeah. I remember like reading about that in history class, like about how they kind of feuded a little bit with each other. At first, yeah. Yeah, because didn't Malcolm X, he wanted um like his people to kind of reign superior have their own like nation in a way mm -hmm. and then yeah, martin, martin luther king just wanted everybody equal. to have yep everybody equal. to hang out yeah. yeah little white children little black children everybody hanging out yeah. together yeah uh so that was the major point of difference in their ideology uh this criticism of martin luther king jr's approach to non-violent protest is cutting though i <laughs> you know that he let women and children stand at the front i understand that there would be violence so i don't know i don't know still love martin luther king jr still love the dream but you know this is an alternative version right yeah in contrast to king's dream as evangeline saying he sought to liberate black america malcolm x that is from what he called its nightmare blacks would have to take action either by force of violence by compelling immediate political action or by leaving the country 
The threat of violence was necessary to force change, which white politicians weren't inclined to offer. His perspective is well articulated in his famous 1964 ballot or the bullet speech. All right, Malik's going to go ahead and do a bit of the ballot or the bullet speech for us now. And it is that. Yeah, that's good. That's the right right tone. You got it. And it is that 310 years of slave labor that was my and your contribution into this particular economy and political system. You and I should let them know now that either we collect our investment right here, right now, and then if we can't collect it here, our people will then be ready to go back home. Let's go ahead and join in with them and make these men pay these back wages. Make them give us the back pay. Our forefathers weren't the pilgrims. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock was landed on us. Let's join in. If this is what the Negro wants, let's join him. Let's show him how to struggle. Let's show him how to fight. Let's show him how to bring a real revolution. Let's make him stop jiving. If you're interested in freedom, you need some judo. You need some karate. You need all the things that will help you fight for freedom. If we don't resort to the bullet, then immediately we have to take steps to use the ballot. Equality of opportunity, if the Constitution at the present time doesn't offer it, then change it. Either it offers it or it doesn't offer it. If it offers it, good then give it to us. If it doesn't offer it, then change it. You don't need a debate. You don't need filibuster. You need some action. That's nice. That was good. His ideology sometimes linked up with unexpected partners. He met with Fidel Castro in Harlem in 1960, and in 1961, he was joined by George Lincoln Rockwell of the American Nazi Party at the Nation of Islam rally. Malcolm and Rockwell both wanted the same thing, albeit for different reasons, namely the complete separation of the black race from the white race. Rockwell had been invited by Elijah Muhammad, and while Malcolm worried that this would tarnish the reputation of the black Muslims, he went along with it for Muhammad's sake. In a similar vein, he participated in a meeting with members of the KKK in Atlanta at the home of Nation Minister Jeremiah X. Although Elijah Muhammad disagreed with the Klan's perspective on uh, pretty much everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he agreed that the races should be separate, and both the Klan and the Nation of Islam opposed Martin Luther King Jr.'s civil rights quest for integration. Elijah Muhammad asked Malcolm and Jeremiah to propose to Klan leader W.S. Fellows that the Klan help the nation to secure a piece of land for a separate state comprised entirely of black Americans, starting with a county somewhere in the Deep South. Imagine this. KKK is sitting down with Malcolm X to figure out if they can make an all-black county that only black people are allowed to live in. Malcolm said... What they wanted wasn't segregation, but separation, complete independence. The KKK's fellows wasn't on board. <laughs> I feel like, why, well, why wouldn't they be? I, 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 do they, do they, do you like, they want black people, uh, black people around to like, to be superior over? Or, no, do, no, are they, or is it just like... In theory, no. I mean, when you get at the heart of the KKK, in my opinion, and, and I'm certainly not the only one who sees it this way, it's the defense of the white woman. So in a perfect world, we don't have the black man anywhere near the white woman. Mm-hmm. That's the KKK's ultimate goal. So they don't necessarily want black people around to lord it over them. I understand what you're saying, Malik. They want them gone so that the white woman need never worry over, you know. So why wouldn't they take his offer? That's a good question. I'm I'm going to guess that 
maybe the pol like the politics of it would involve kicking white people out of a county. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I I bet it might get something down to that. It's also giving oh. stuff to black people. Maybe that didn't sit well with them. Um, so they just can't be happy. Yeah, I think there's no, and I don't think that honestly, when you read about this meeting, that Fellows was necessarily there to truly entertain this idea of giving the Nation of Islam its own county. I think he was more there to, well, for these reasons. So <laughs> he proposed making the nation an auxiliary of the KKK's fight against integration and offered to give the Muslims purple robes. What? Yeah, think about that. There would have been black men in the KKK. Wearing purple robes. <laughs> what? The KKK invited them to do this. What for? I, I, <laughs> so they are, <laughs> what? They asked if they could give the KKK, uh, if, if Malcolm X would give the KKK, or the Nation of Islam, that is, the location and schedule, this is more to the point, of Martin Luther King Jr. So they're trying to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. here. And they think the nation can help them. That's the, awful. Frightening, yeah. The yeah. purple robes are kind of like ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there's that movie about the black guy the, who joins the, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the black Klansman. Yeah. So, but this was real. This was a, that KKK actually, they didn't, I mean, that was an infiltrator, but yeah, they wanted to actually invite the nation of Islam to don a purple robe. But uh, Malik, now, what color would you choose? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Malik, what if color? you at this meeting, <laughs> oh my God. Malcolm X turns to you and he says, well, all right, I, I'm probably not going to do this, Malik, but uh, if we had to join, what do you think about purple? I think I'd rather just put on the white sheet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, boy, that would really piss him off. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you would be kind of fighting against him, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, naturally, Malcolm X was not on board with facilitating the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., and it's likely that in this exchange, the absurdity of the undertaking finally sunk in. Now, I'm just guessing about Malcolm X's state of mind and his emotional state in this meeting, but it, it seems to me that this is a turning point for him. He told fellows that they would not help the Klan hunt one of their own people. Even if he disagreed with Martin Luther King, he's not going to facilitate that assassination. This meeting may have been, in my opinion, the start of Malcolm's change of heart about the civil rights movement and also the Nation of Islam. Again, the civil rights movement, as Evangeline said, separate from Nation of Islam and black separatism, black nationalism. Those mean two different things. They're happening at the same time, but Malcolm X doesn't consider himself a part of the civil rights movement. He's part of black nationalism. But black nationalism seems to have gotten pretty weird. If we're sitting around talking about the color of our robes, should we join the KKK? You see what I mean? Yeah. He's sitting there saying, what, what if, in my opinion, Malcolm X has got to be sitting there saying, what has happened? What am I doing here? <laughs> what the hell is going on? I feel like I would, if like I was a part of that, I would be like, sorry, this, what? We were having a weird day here, guys. We all have a weird day. Is... Anyone else having a weird day? <laughs> odd, yeah. <laughs> After having served the nation faithfully from 1957 to 1963, Malcolm X was suspended for 90 days from his position after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Elijah Muhammad had requested that no one speak on the president's death, but in a question and answer session following one of his speeches, Malcolm X was asked about the president's death, and he said it was a case of, I'm quoting here, the chickens coming home to roost. Because... Kennedy had sponsored assassination attempts in other countries and spread global violence by other means. 
we don't often hear about JFK in these the, this context, but uh, again, controversial opinions. You go to Malcolm X. Not that he was necessarily wrong. Muhammad was careful to never criticize the government, but Malcolm had made a regular habit of attacking politicians going back to Eisenhower, who, by the way, he called a hypocritical friend to the so-called Negro. Malcolm X believed he'd been suspended not because of his Kennedy comments, but because Elijah Muhammad was jealous of his popularity. Malcolm publicly announced that the nation was responsible for beating and killing members they considered to have stepped out of line and formally stepped down from his involvement with the nation in March 1964. When he made these comments, he was careful not to mention Elijah Muhammad specifically because he didn't want to upset people's faith in him and unsettle their devotion to Islam. So he believed the underlying belief system was good and that black people joining Islam was good for them. And he believed that since Elijah Muhammad was the leader, he should leave Elijah Muhammad out of his initial break with the church, with the organization, uh, with the mosque, as it were. Um, but it, it seems to me like th there was a personality conflict at the end of the day. I mean, we don't... Elijah Muhammad may be a name that many of our listeners and maybe you guys have never heard before. Yeah? Have you heard of Elijah Muhammad before today? I have not. No. I don't think so. Have you heard of Malcolm X before today? Yes. Yes. Malcolm X had far eclipsed Elijah Muhammad in popularity, and yet Elijah Muhammad was the leader of the Nation of Islam, not Malcolm X. In fact, many people think about Malcolm X even today. They misremember him or misunderstand him as the leader. He was just a spokesperson. Not just, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So remember I said he was trying to save Elijah Muhammad, keep him separate, but that didn't last long. His commitment to preserving Elijah Muhammad's good name for the faithful didn't last. Later, he told a story about unmarried teenage secretaries working for the nation. Two of these secretaries had become pregnant, and per the nation's prohibition against extramarital sex, they were isolated and humiliated for their transgression. Then four more teenage secretaries became pregnant. And Wallace Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad's own son, confided in Malcolm that the father of all of these children was Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. Oh, so the leader is having sex with the secretaries and then scorning them when they become pregnant for being whores. That's awful. Yeah. Malik needs to reflect on this for a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's like blaming them for getting pregnant. With like, him. With with him. Yeah. And they're underage. Yeah. Right? Teenagers. teenagers. I said teenage. I don't know if they're underage or teenage. They could yeah, be 18, 19 could be 18, years old. 19. But like, did he know it was his fault, or is yeah, he just he looking knew. for someone to blame? He he, he knew he just didn't care. Well, like, what's the point of what? Why why would he do that? Like, what's the point of getting them pregnant and then blaming it on like? I don't know if he was intentionally getting them, them pregnant. He was intentionally having sex with them because he wanted to. Oh, just because he wanted. And to. then the pregnancies happened, and then he he had to say something with these pregnant secretaries. He couldn't just let them off the hook and be like, "No, it's cool that you're." not married and pregnant, even though he was the one who had caused it. That's awful. Oh, so he's like, he was just trying to uh, like make it look like it wasn't his fault yeah. in front of other people. Yep, yep, yep. He was trying to put up a good face. Yeah. Okay. Oh, jeez. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, I see. A facade. Wallace Muhammad had concluded uh, that his father was not a prophet. Let me say that again. Wallace Muhammad had not concluded that his own father was not the prophet he claimed to be. Uh, and... Wallace Muhammad, son of Elijah Muhammad, was excommunicated from his father's own organization five times. Oh, snap. 
let him back in, kick him out again, let him back in, kick him out again. It was Wallace who replaced his father when Elijah died, though, in 1975. So, Wallace won in the end. He rejected the deification of Farrard, moved the nation to embrace the five pillars of Islam, and chose to accept white members. Whoa. His leadership splintered the nation of Islam, though, and precipitated the rise of a leader who would claim greater national attention, namely Louis Farrakhan, uh, but that's a story for another day. Back to Malcolm X. Malcolm X started a new religious organization, Muslim Mosque Incorporated. This new organization would focus on the politics of black nationalism and the religion of Islam. In April 1964, he flew back to Cairo uh, under the assumed name of Malik El-Shabazz. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you got, a, you got a link there. <laughs> uh, albeit you don't go by El-Shabazz. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you can start thinking about it. Uh, the Hajj Committee in Jeddah recognized Malcolm X as a true Muslim, and the head of the committee told him that he hoped Malcolm would become a great preacher of Islam in America. He joined the pilgrimage where he was impressed that people from every race were present. White people, black people, Middle Eastern people, Asian people. The Hajj equalized them all, and he was moved by the spirit of unity and brotherhood displayed in Mecca. And he began to wonder if perhaps some white Americans could be cured of their racism through conversion to Islam. In an interview with Mike Wallace after his pilgrimage, here's Mike Wallace again, always interviewing Malcolm X. He walked back his views on black separatism. He said that when he'd expressed ideas about separating the races, he'd been speaking in his capacity as a spokesman for Elijah Muhammad, but he had not solidified his own views on the matter. Speaking as himself, he saw a path forward for the races to coexist. He was working his way toward the civil rights mainstream, but this does not mean he was departing from his lifelong project to improve the lives of American black people by any means necessary. And you can watch these interviews, many of them on YouTube if you want. Google Malcolm X, search Malcolm X and uh, Mike Wallace. After his pilgrimage, he visited Africa, specifically Sudan, Lebanon, Nigeria, and Ghana. And he developed the idea of the African nations bringing up the poor treatment of blacks in America at the UN as a possible path forward on the enfranchisement of African Americans. So imagine this. You're at the big UN meeting and Sudan and Lebanon stand up and they're like, you, United States, you stop being so horrible to your black people. <laughs> this was his idea. Yeah, it would be kind of embarrassing, I right? I don't think that would yeah. be efficient. Are not efficient. <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> Knowing the U.S., just be like, mm, I don't care. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, the, the African nations were actually worried about the U.S. caring, but in a different way. Um, mm. So he founded the organization of Afro-American Unity, which he housed in the same office as his Muslim mosque incorporated. Through Afro-American Unity, he hoped to forge bonds between Africans and black Americans. So uh, across the globe, all black people coming together, sort of like Farrard imagined originally, and for Africans to take up black Americans' cause. Although he'd been critical of civil rights leaders, in Africa, he began to change his perspective. He praised Martin Luther King Jr. and said that the main difference between them was that King didn't mind getting beaten up, but Malcolm didn't like to. Back home, Malcolm joined a conference of civil rights leaders, including King's speechwriter Clarence Jones. The other leaders got behind his plan, Malcolm X, that is, to internationalize the civil rights issue, but in the end, no African nation decided to petition the UN because they were fearful of reprisals from the U.S. government. They were basically worried that they wouldn't get 
some funding or you know that kind of stuff that the U.S. would withdraw funding support would not support them in in their particular projects. Um, so it was more out of fear. They they weren't concerned that the U.S. would say, "Yeah, we screw you. We don't care." They were more concerned that the U.S. would feel embarrassed by this and would take it out on on the African nations. Mm, yeah, that does make sense. In 1964, Malcolm said, You'll find that very few people who think like I think live long enough to get old. A black man should give his life to be free, and he should also be willing to take the life of those who want to take his. When you really think like that, you don't live long. On Valentine's Day, 14th of February, 1965, Malcolm X's Harlem home was attacked with several Molotov cocktails and burned to the ground. Malcolm blamed the Nation of Islam, and the Nation of Islam blamed Malcolm, saying he set the fire himself for publicity. A bizarre idea, because his family was in real danger, um, and he was quite a family man. Believing the violence would only escalate, he sent his wife and children to stay in Queens. On the 21st of February, he was scheduled to speak at the Audubon Ballroom on his goals with the OAAU. Members of his team drove him to the event so that his car wouldn't be recognized. He refused to allow a police presence inside the ballroom, and an officer stood at the door. Malcolm forbade firearms, but no one was searched on their way in. One of his bodyguards, Charles Kenyatta, told Malcolm he was worried about the lax security at the ballroom, but uh, Malcolm reassured him. He said, I'm with my people here. Benjamin Goodman spoke before him, asking for funding for the OAAU since Malcolm X was uncomfortable with fundraising. Several other speakers for the day hadn't shown, and Malcolm was upset. Goodman introduced Malcolm as a man who would give his life for you. Two men in the audience started an altercation with one shouting, What are you doing in my pockets, man? This diverted Malcolm's security, and a tall man with a sawed-off shotgun took advantage of the distraction. He stood and fired at Malcolm X. Heyer also shot Malcolm with a forty-five pistol, and a third man shot him with a 9 millimeter Luger, which was never recovered. The shotgun blast had knocked Malcolm over so that these other bullets actually lodged in his legs. A smoke bomb exploded at the back of the room, allowing two of the men to escape. Heyer was tackled in the stairwell, and one of Malcolm's team, Reuben X, shot Heyer in the leg. Malcolm was rushed to the hospital, where doctors tried to revive him, but the initial shotgun blast had sent bullets through his heart, and he was dead at the age of 39. Wow. Yeah. That's like that's actually the first time hearing the age he died. Like, I didn't know when he died. I, just didn't, yeah, he was I didn't know his young. age. He was 39, yeah. Interesting. What his, year was that? Uh, 1965. Yeah. Yeah, right in the midst of all the, the civil rights heat, really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. a very intense moment, very intense decade in, in all that regard, and others as well. But uh, yeah, 1965, died at the age of 39. So his career largely took place in his 30s. Mm. All his success and his fame was won in that time period. The justice system convicted three men of the assassination, Talmadge Hare, Norman 3X Butler, and Thomas 15X Johnson. Hayer admitted that while there was a conspiracy of several men to assassinate Malcolm X, neither Butler nor Johnson were involved. Hayer named Leon David, Wilbur McKinley, and William Bradley, members of a Nation of Islam mosque in Newark, New Jersey, as co-conspirators. The team had been plotting for some time before they decided, according to Hayer, to make the attempt at the Audubon Ballroom in Manhattan. 
It's difficult to believe with Malcolm's security detail that the uh, and the guarded ballroom that Hayer and company didn't have help from someone on the inside of Malcolm's team, but Hayer said it was a chance. It was only a, a, by chance, uh, and, and they were taking a chance, uh, and that they had no insider assistance. So Hayer said there wasn't anyone on the inside helping him. They bought tickets to and attended a dance the night before to scout out the location. Imagine that. <laughs> All the teenagers getting together for the sock hop in 1965, and uh, here come these assassins. Yikes. Jeez. They were associated with a group called the Fruit of Islam, a paramilitary unit who provided security for the Nation of Islam. Hare was approached in 1964 and asked how he felt about Malcolm X. When he expressed his anger toward Malcolm, Malcolm over his dispute with Elijah Muhammad, he was immediately recruited to become an assassin. Butler and Johnson were both members of the Fruit of Islam, but apparently not involved in the shooting of Malcolm X, uh, even though they were convicted. They had both been suspects in the shooting of a Nation of Islam defector named Benjamin Brown. This is how they got caught up in the Malcolm X scenario. And they spent a long time in, in prison for this, by the way. Butler was arrested for the shooting, and his legs were badly injured during his arrest, which made it even less likely he could have participated in the assassination of Malcolm X. So one of these guys, who was convicted for killing Malcolm X, wasn't even in good shape to run away. Which they obviously had to have, because only Hayer was caught. Elijah Muhammad denied any involvement on his part uh, or the part of the NOI and claimed no knowledge of Hayer. I don't know this man. Distrusting the police, many of Malcolm's supporters refused to participate in the investigation. So that added to some of the problems. This, you know, if we're thinking about black nationalism, if we're thinking about Black Panthers, I mean, the distrust of the police is fundamental to these movements. So Malcolm X's followers, the police come in and want to investigate this and they say, we're not talking to you. Right. Yeah, you you lie and and you cheat and and you screw us over. What are you going to do here? Um, so it was almost impossible to correctly get you know answer what happened here. Yeah, I mean they screwed it up. They got the wrong people ultimately mm -hmm. for the assassination, with the exception of Hayer. Suspicions of a government conspiracy actually ring linger around the idea that the FBI or some federal body was interested in starting a war between Malcolm's followers and the Nation of Islam in order to undermine the Black Nationalist movement. I mean, you know, the FBI kept tabs on uh, Martin Luther King Jr., we know. I mean, they were watching civil rights leaders. They were concerned about them, you know, rabble-rousing or whatever, stirring up trouble. Many believed that Malcolm's request not to allow firearms or have people searched and the fact that he was alone and unguarded on stage point to an insider betrayal within Malcolm's circle, getting back to that theory. But it's worth noting that Malcolm had been on the FBI's watch list since he sent a letter to Harry Truman all the way back in 1950, protesting the start of the Korean War and telling Truman he was a communist who had hoped to volunteer for the Japanese army during World War II. <laughs> what a character. He's like 20 years old. He's sending this letter to the president telling him he wanted to fight against the U.S. Brilliant. The day before Malcolm's feet, yeah, he was a crazy, he was, he was intense. He was an intense person. Sounds like it. Bold, uh, bold guy. I, I mean, it gets back to the point that, you know, he views the United States government as oppressing the black man. So any opportunity to point that out, even when he's 20 years old. Wow. The day before Malcolm's funeral, Elijah Muhammad gave a rally at which he convinced Malcolm's brothers, Filbert and Wilfred to speak out against him, his own brothers. Before his days before his funeral, him. yeah, between the time he dies and his funeral. Jeez. Mm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Elijah Muhammad said, 
We did not want to kill Malcolm, and we didn't try to. It was his foolishness, ignorance, and his preaching that brought on his death. It's wrong to stand beside the grave of a hypocrite. He turned his back on the man who taught him all he knew. It was me, Elijah Muhammad. Malcolm got what he was preaching. Dancing on the man's grave there. Wow. 22,000 people came to pay their respects at the funeral parlor where Malcolm X's body was laid out, 22,000. That's crazy. Both the funeral parlor and Faith Temple Church, where Malcolm's funeral were held, received bomb threats, and the church closed off its basement as a result. When white grave diggers went to bury Malcolm, his followers protested that their leader could not be buried by white men, and they took up the shovels themselves. Was Malcolm <laughs> ever close to his brothers, or really? I don't know about his relationship with his family. It seems like at that point they wouldn't have been close enough or yeah, in his organization, yeah. yeah it didn't yeah. seem like they were like in his life that much, especially because, like you said, they went through foster care, right? Well, so, did they technically have different families? I don't know the degree to which they were uh, separate. I mean, Reginald was not did not speak out against him, and Reginald was the one who originally converted him, you know, mm -hmm. to oh, the Nation of Islam. Yeah. So, I mean, there certainly is in his life story. There is his brothers and you know his family has involved. His sister got him out of jail. Well, got him moved in jail. So. He had relation because his older siblings, I think he was 13. Remember, mm -hmm. his older siblings weren't necessarily even in foster care for very long. They would have gotten uh, married and moved out, yeah. turned 18 years old. Um, so he had decent relations, I think, with those siblings, but particularly at, at the formative years of his life and, and Reginald in particular. But these two, Filbert and Wilfred, I don't I don't really know much about his relationship with them. It seems like. <laughs> They were not on board. Yes, they gave a heck of a eulogy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they were so far on board with Elijah Muhammad that, you know, uh, he yeah. sort of talked him into coming out. And I mean, this is the leader of, of a frightening, of a legitimately scary organization. The Nation of Islam is, I mean, we're going to get into some of the things they did. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> wow. There's some, there could be coercion there too. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Despite a whole lot of damning circumstances surrounding Malcolm's assass assassination, the Nation of Islam continues to deny involvement. But in the following decade, a couple of events that bore distinct traces of Nation of Islam fingerprints harken back to Malcolm's murder. So we can read back to Malcolm's murder from these events. Well, this looks a lot like what happened to Malcolm X. First were the so-called zebra murders. In 1973 and 1974, 15 white San Francisco residents were shot to death and nine were assaulted and permanently injured, including future mayor of San Francisco, Art Agnos. These crimes were committed by a crew of four black men calling themselves the Death Angels. Anthony Harris contacted detectives when he recognized his image in a police sketch posted in April 1974. He said he'd been present for the murders but hadn't committed any of them himself. He was offered immunity from prosecution and was entered along with his family into witness protection. Seven men were then arrested for the homicides. Four were released, though, due to lack of evidence. Local black Muslim leader John Muhammad denied any involvement on the part of the Nation of Islam, but the nation paid for the attorneys for the three men put on trial who were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So this is the first uh, major instance, you know, they're denying that they were involved in any actual violence against Malcolm X in 65, but in 74, a whole bunch of people died with people who are tangentially related to Nation of Islam, or perhaps less than tangentially, despite the denials, because they're paying for their legal defense. Mm -hmm. 
An event that better resembled the hit against Malcolm was the Hanafi massacre. On the 17th of January 1973, members of the family of Hamas Abdul Khalis, founder of the Hanafi Muslim sect of Islam, were violently assaulted and murdered in his home. I'm going to spoiler, not spoiler, trigger warning folks on this. This is pretty brutal, what I'm about to describe. Khalis had been a national secretary for the Nation of Islam until he was demoted in 1958. He gained national attention when basketball star Lou Alkindor, better known today as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, converted to join his Hanafi organization. You guys know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? No. Really? Never heard that name. Yeah. Are you kidding me? He's a big deal in the 70s. He was on uh, Airplane, I believe. He did some movies. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't alive in the 70s, Rob. Khalees sent a letter to the nation denouncing Elijah Muhammad and Farrard Muhammad as false prophets, and a group of black Muslims came to his house, raped his daughter Amina, murdered his brothers, 23-year-old David and 10-year-old Rahman, 10-year-old Rahman, as well as several children who were present. Bibi Hamas was also shot, but not before being forced to watch two of her children drowned in a bathtub and her nine-day-old grandchild drowned in a sink. Amina was shoved in a closet and shot three times, but she survived. As they were shooting at her, her assailant said, You know your father wrote those letters, don't you? Evidence led police to to a Philadelphia mosque. Six men were arrested, including James X. Price, who attempted to turn state's evidence, but he ultimately refused to testify, fearing that the nation would not accept him back into their fold, and was subsequently murdered by black Muslims in Holmesburg prison. So I'm not saying the Nation of Islam killed Malcolm X. But these are some eyewitness accounts of events that deeply implicate Nation of Islam members. And they implicate Nation of Islam members in attacks on people who were criticizing the Nation of Islam. Uh, You know, Khalees, for one, and Malcolm X, for two. Malcolm X had been with the Nation of Islam until, you know, he changed his mind. And you can watch Malcolm X on Mike Wallace on YouTube if you like basically tell mike wallace i'm speaking out against these people i expect they're going to kill me or attempt to kill me Mm. this is going to happen um i'm telling you the truth about what happened with these teenage girls i'm telling you the truth as far as i understand it about what's going on in the nation of islam and and elijah muhammad i'm not with these people anymore they're going to kill me for the things that i am saying my words are going to be too much for them and they're going to resort to violence so he he told us malcolm x told us straight out before he died wow so they still don't have like proof of what who actually killed him like they i know they got one of the guys but they don't have well my account here i think is pretty close to actually what happened we we're pretty sure it's not the men who were convicted it's these other men who were involved who were named by you know the assailant who was captured mm-hmm. um and convicted uh the two guys he was convicted with were not involved though these other guys were involved um but yeah the nation of islam distanced themselves from all of it said they didn't know any they didn't know the guys who were convicted they didn't know hair um they weren't involved in this event uh but but it seems you know malcolm x is telling us elijah muhammad will have me killed i mean yeah. that's really where it's at like we know that the guys who killed malcolm x were members of nation of islam what remains suspect is whether or not Elijah Muhammad was aware or had ordered this to happen. But Malcolm X believed that that's what was going that's, to happen to him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And Elijah Muhammad certainly was not mournful after his death or anything. He was mm-hmm. celebrating it. 
It's possible that the nation was not involved in Malcolm's assassination. The circumstances surrounding that fateful afternoon at the Audubon Ballroom, as well as subsequent events, make it difficult to accept, though, that the nation had no plan or desire to kill him. I will say only in conclusion one thing. Malcolm X was a dangerous man, but the danger he posed was always ideological and pointed squarely at the powers that be. Final thoughts on Malcolm X? That is a lot more than I learned in history class. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hoping. I, I want to tell as much of the story as I can. I feel like... I don't know. I wasn't like... Because, like I said at the beginning of the episode, like my knowledge of Malcolm X was it's pretty basic. Like I just know the like what he was trying to do and that he got assassinated. But I, like, I never really viewed him as like... I guess I never really knew like he was trying to get like black people above like white people. Yeah. Like I thought he was trying to like I know like I knew he was fighting for black people, but it's new to me that I was like, oh, he wanted to like switch spots with the white people and he wanted the black people to reign superior than the than the whites. So that was yeah, separate. 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 Yeah. separate yeah. He did want to. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he wanted to like rule over the white people. And I he think understood he just... the black race as superior. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But he wanted to get the black race away from the white race so that they to could build their own nation. Yes. Enjoy their superiority yeah. in peace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does no, that it's make not, sense? I don't think he wanted to like make. Well, the yeah, white like I know he didn't slaves. want to like. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to like. I wasn't saying it's was like. Oh, it was like. Uh, uh, white people should be like slaves now. It's like it's your turn since we went through all that. But like, I just like never knew he just wanted black people to be mm. better. Is I guess what I'm saying. He just but viewed, then, he viewed black people as better inherently. Yeah, black right. people already were better. Yeah. Okay. I they got just it. needed right. the space to enjoy that. But I mean, I will say, Malik, that at the end, the last year of his life, he he changed gears. After he went on his pilgrimage to Mecca, he said, "You know, we can get white people into Islam, and we can cure them of their racism." I see. White people are wow. racist in mm -hmm. his mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, enough white people that it's a problem for black people, and I'm not going to deny him that in 1964, 1965. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're, white people are racist today. And I'm not saying only white people are racist either. Again, I'm, try, I'm not trying to be woke or anti-woke here. But, <laughs> but there are white racist people right now. And Malcolm X believed that Islam would cure them of their racism. I, I might argue that Malcolm X was cured of his racism to an extent by going to the pilgrimage in Mecca. He came back speaking you know, kindly of Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, wanting to be more uh, an active part of civil rights movement a more part of equality yeah 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 he had not given up by any stretch on the political project of enfranchising black people by any means necessary or, or a unified vision of black people across the globe uh sort of rising up against oppression but so it was a new vision i guess is what i'm trying to say a less um supremacist vision maybe less separatist perhaps i guess like for me like looking back at malcolm x and a bunch of people in the story just like how you grow up and what you see and experience especially as a kid can affect how you grow up as an adult and think about how the world works and it's just very interesting and very i don't know how to put this in words but like his decisions make more sense looking back at his like childhood sure um, yeah. But also how it changed because he saw more of how the world was in the end yeah. rather than just one side of it. 
Who was it that was uh that had the um that uh impregnated woman and then Oh Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh I thought I found that very interesting. All news to you. Yeah. Just, yeah, you know, the story I've never of the assassination. Heard that. Yeah. 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 The yeah, motivation behind the assassination. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like uncomfortable history. Nation of Islam is uncomfortable history because, uh, in a way, the, you know, the, there's a, a kind of BLM to them, right? You mm-hmm. know, uh, they're trying to enfranchise black people. Nation of Islam, they're, they're speaking a truth to power. They're, you know, opposing the police and the government structure. And, and, and you know, on, on a liberal side, we we want to, you know, pump our fist and say, yeah, go Nation of Islam. But then there's this uglier side to Nation of Islam. Uh, that Malcolm X ultimately rejected and, yeah. and called out. If you kind of think about it, pretty much both sides are toxic. In that kind of conversation, yeah. I mean, Mike Wallace called it the hate that hate produced, right? Yeah, I think you can find pretty much bad in everything that might like appear good. There's always going to be something that's... Ooh, that's dark. I, well, it's kind of true, though. Like, you look at a lot of religions and, and different things. Like, it's not all what it seems to be sure because there there could be people that say they're a part of that religion who aren't actually great people and doing bad things yeah and it certainly wasn't part of the doctrine of of nation of islam that elijah no. muhammad should be having sex with his secretaries that was exactly I mean, like I mean, that was the problem he had to come one it up. person yeah and there's more people than that but you can't like say that the whole thing's bad just because yeah. of that one person there's making... good things in there good mm-hmm. ideas in there things that could help people and, and uh, certainly malcolm x made a big difference in the culture because of nation of islam in part in large part maybe or maybe i don't know i don't know chicken and egg did yeah. <laughs> malcolm x make nation of islam or did nation of islam make malcolm x i, I don't know some sort of magical alchemy there Our sources today uh, are numerous. Uh, I'll recommend a few to you. Uh, Mark Doden's uh, A Marked Man, The Assassination of Malcolm X. Uh, Vilbert White's Inside the Nation of Islam, A Historical and Personal Testimony by a Black Muslim. Stephen Tuck's The Night Malcolm X Spoke at the Oxford Union. Uh, Let's see. Less and Tamara Payne's The Dead Are Arising, The Life of Malcolm X. And Jeffrey O.G. Ogbar's Black Power, Radical Politics, and African-American Identity. I hereby adjourn. I hereby adjourn and declare a close of... This meeting. Of this meeting. Of the secret order. Of the secret order of Of, alchemical actors. Until. Until such a time as we get together and do it again. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson, your supreme hierophant of that secret order, joined by our two neophytes. Wonderful, wonderful conversation with you both today. Malik Hopkins. Thank you. Thank you. And Evangeline Olson, thank you. Thank you very much. Catch us next time. Uh, we're we're going to... This almost seems strange after this conversation, but we're going to flip the episode, flip the script, not flip the episode, flip the script, and go after the neo-Nazi occult. That's, that's going to be our next conversation here Fun. on Occult Confessions.